And so before we we actually do our prayers and, and everything for the session, I wanted to touch on one topic that the the young adults had asked about, but I hadn't gotten to. Okay, unless Geshe did it yesterday, but maybe not. <laughs> um, was the question of is there a a good kind of desire? That was your question, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, did you touch on that yesterday? Is there a good kind of desire? I see. No. Okay. So the um, this question comes up a lot. So the des- the word desire in English has many different meanings, and I think this is part of the the problem. Well, not problem. Mm-hmm. Thing we have to understand is desire in English can mean like an aspiration. I desire to become a kinder person. I desire to progress on the path to full awakening. So we say like that. That kind of desire, it's a, it's a very virtuous aspiration. And those are the kinds that we want to, to uh, cultivate. The other way the word desire is used in English is, oh, that is so beautiful. I desire it. I've got to have it. It's mine. That kind of desire brings problems. Okay? So that, the first kind of desire is more like a virtuous aspiration. Yeah? The second kind of desire is basically attachment and lust. Okay, uh, that then goes into greed. And so that's the kind of desire that we want to abandon. So when you're reading some, uh, some Buddhist material, you have to know which kind of desire they're talking about. Okay, um, so that you you put your mind in the right direction. Instead of, you know, oh, yeah, I desire chocolate, and I desire a yacht, and I desire, you know. uh, No, we don't want to put our minds that way. Okay, is that clear for people? Yeah, any follow-up issues or questions from that? I think, okay. Okay, so we'll start off with the... uh, as we always do, visualizing the Buddhas uh, surrounded by the, the Buddha surrounded by all the other Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and ourselves surrounded by all living beings. And it's very helpful to our minds when we do this visualization to think that we're leading all the other living beings in taking refuge and generating bodhicitta. And if you think especially of the people that you don't get along with so well uh, doing this, it changes your image of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they may be interested in Buddhism, want to take refuge. They have the potential uh, to appreciate uh, bodhicitta, they want to, uh, and have you know the ability to generate it, so that that can help us um, 
soothe our negative emotions towards them. And it also kind of gives us an idea sometimes of how we can help others by leading them to take refuge and uh, generating bodhicitta, bodhicitta. But leading them to do that is very different than forcing them, pushing them, cajoling them. Let's generate our motivation. So if we observe our thoughts closely, we uh, have a very strong tendency that has been encouraged by society and our friends and our family to want more and better. So that's kind of our theme song. More and better, more and better. I want more and I want better. And uh, we put this into practice assiduously every day to try and get more of what we think will bring us happiness and get better quality of what we think will make us happy. And it's even linked up to being a patriotic citizen because we help the economy when we buy more, when we buy better. And this is what the president told us to do after 9-11. Go out and go shopping. Get more and better. But that mind is very much based on the misconception that more and better of whatever it is, be it material things, sex, uh, status in society, climbing up the corporate ladder, whatever it is, there's the uh, assumption that that's going to make us happier. But every more and better brings its own problems. As soon as you have a very fancy car, you have the hell realm with that very fancy car. As soon as you have new uh, tech equipment, then you have the hell of that new tech equipment. As soon as you have another fantastic relationship, then you have the hell of it not always being so great. 
So this, this, this is all due to the grasping mind that misapprehends how things exist and thinks that they have inherent pleasure in them, so we've got to get them. And it also uh, is rooted in the self-centered mind. So we want more and better, and then get involved in a lot of negative actions to get that. And in the end, whatever comes together separates. And so many times in our own experience, if we check, we've gotten more and better, and it's been disappointing. It didn't measure up to our expectations, our daydreams. And wanting more and better leads us to compete with others. It leads us to be envious and jealous of those who have more than better, more and better than us. And it leads us to be very arrogant if we have more and better than them. And none of that actually brings happiness when you're wrapped up in competing, comparing, competing, comparing. So what Shantideva is suggesting in Guide to Bodhisattva's Way of Life is instead of being focused on more and better for me, to think of how to really be of long-term benefit to other living beings. And have doing that be what brings us happiness what brings us a sense of fulfillment. So that isn't uh, a thing um, of I'm going to please everybody and then they're all going to say, thank you, you're so kind, you're so generous, and then I want more and better praise. If we think like that, we're in the same old rut. So it's a kind of generosity, a kind of giving, where the action itself is the pleasure, regardless of how others respond. So when we're listening to teachings, in order to be able to generate these kinds of qualities by practicing 
the Buddhist teachings. Then we're thinking long-term about, or we want to think long-term about really being of benefit to others without expecting rewards and thank yous and status. And to let our happiness be derived from showing compassion and care for others. And rejoicing that all of our old friends have more and better material relationships and social status than us. And we wish them well, but we're certainly not envious of them. because we've checked out the path we're following and we have confidence in that. We're looking for long-term benefit rather than short-term pleasure. So take a minute and cultivate that attitude before we begin. that a rapper could make a really good song about more and better. Yeah. Has a certain beat to it. Okay. So um, we've been going through this text. It has 10 chapters. We're at the end of chapter 8 now. So you're just kind of uh, dropping in at uh, where Shantideva is going to be bringing Uh, chapter 8 to a conclusion. Chapter 8 is about meditation. That, you know, but we think, oh, he's going to teach meditation, so he's going to teach sitting up straight, watching your breath, and this and that. Mm. What he teaches first is how to uh, prepare yourself to develop concentration. And So the first part of the chapter is really uh, going over uh, how to mm, unattach ourselves from our attachments because uh, the afflictions and especially attachment and the wrong kind of desire are some of the big hindrances to developing concentration. As we all know, yeah, you sit down to meditate, and what goes through your mind? Yeah, are you visualizing the Buddha? Well, it starts out the Buddha, and then it turns into your boyfriend. 
Yeah. Or doesn't it? Yeah. Or your girlfriend or whoever it is. Yeah. Uh, or you, you start out watching your breath and pretty soon you're thinking about work and, you know, how can I get a raise and what am I going to spend my extra money on? Yeah. Or is the economy going to go south and then what do I do then? Okay. So, you know, until we really get a handle uh, on what is called the eight worldly concerns, it's going to be really difficult to cultivate concentration. Yeah. Because our mind is all over the place. And it never hurts to talk more about the eight worldly concerns. Never hurts. Um, it was actually one of the teachings that my teacher uh, pounded into us again and again and again. Um, and uh, I'm very glad he did. Yeah. But anyway, um, we'll talk about the self-centered attitude, which is kind of related to the eight worldly concerns anyway. Okay, so the first part, uh, you know, of chapter eight, uh, he was talking about how to subdue our attachment. Yeah. Uh, he went into a big section about sexual attachment. Yeah. And one verse I really like if you really want to, you have the urge to hug somebody, try your pillow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Good suggestion. It doesn't quite make it, but it has the same idea, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So, uh, and then he talked about um, a lot about the body and overcoming attachment to the body because so much of our uh, destructive karma is created, motivated by seeking pleasure for the body and seeking to avoid pain and unpleasant feelings for the body. And he's going to circle around and get back into that uh, now. And then after that, he talked about what's called the uh, method of uh, equalizing and exchanging self with others. Okay, so equalizing, seeing that we and other sentient beings um that there's no reason to cherish ourselves more than others. Okay? We have all sorts of reasons why to cherish ourselves more than others. And Shanti Deva shoots them all down. Okay? So he doesn't mean that we should not cherish ourselves. Okay? And, and here, I've noticed some people in our community using the term self-cherishing instead of self-centeredness. And I would like to ask you, don't do that. Because if you talk about self-cherishing as something to be abandoned, very easily people think, oh, if I don't cherish myself, then I should be hard on myself. I should criticize myself. I should deny myself. And then you get people going into uh, ascetic trips or low self-esteem trips. 
Okay. Because you say, oh, well, self-cherishing is bad. I shouldn't cherish myself. I'm just a piece of rubbish. Well, I've known that all along, blah, 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 blah. That's not what the, what Shantideva and the Buddha are trying to get us to go to. Okay. We should cherish ourselves in a healthy way. Okay. Which means that we respect ourselves, especially our spiritual yearning, our spiritual interest. We respect that part of ourself. It's a very important part of ourself that we should notice and should respect. Yeah. We should take care of the body, not because we're seeking, you know, so much pleasure from the body, but because the body is the basis of our precious human life. And it's the vehicle through which, you know, we have the opportunity to learn the Dharma now. So we should care for the body in that way, cherish it, but not be self-centered and think only my body, only my pleasure, okay, only me. Okay, is it, are, are you getting the difference between self self-cherishing and self-centeredness. This is actually quite important because one time, uh, and some of you have heard this story, but it, for me it's a powerful one. Uh, you know, one of our teachers always used the term self-cherishing, you know, because he learned English by looking things up in the, in the Tibetan English Dictionary. Okay, so he didn't always get the 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 uh, correct nuance of different words. You know, for example, he uh, translated. You know, he looked it up in the the dictionary, and uh, instead of saying wrong views, he said heresy. Oh God, yeah. So of the ten negative actions, the last one is heresy. What do you think of when you think of heresy? Yeah, you know, there's Joan of Arc at the at the you know at the stake, and you know the all the witch uh, trials and burnings in Massachusetts, wasn't it? Yeah. So it, it, that's not what uh, what the Buddha was talking about. <laughs> okay, so we have to really look at translation terms carefully. Yeah. So. We do cherish ourselves because we have the potential to become a Buddha. We do not cherish ourselves because we're the most important one in the world. Okay, so we have to have the correct reason for this. Yeah. Um, but other, you know, and we, in one way we are valuable, in another way we aren't. We are valuable because we have the Buddha nature and the potential to progress on the path. We are not valuable in the sense that I am the center of the universe and everybody should do what I say. Okay, so, you know, to have self-respect, to cherish ourselves in a healthy way, not in an unhealthy way. Okay. So... I, I go off on tangents sometimes, but I, I've been wanting to say that for a while. Okay. 
Yeah. So then he was uh, talking about exchanging the disadvantages of self-centeredness, the benefits of cherishing others. Yeah. And then a very special meditation where we imagine uh, it's called exchanging self and others. So whereas now we consider ourselves as the most important ones, we exchange that and other living beings become the most important ones. That doesn't mean becoming a people pleaser. It doesn't mean becoming Mr. or Ms. Fix-It, where you go around sticking your nose in other people's business and trying to fix their lives so that they do what you want them to do. Okay? So, you know, with all these terms and things, we have to really... Be, uh, have a correct understanding of what they mean. Yeah. So uh, it's exchanging whose happiness we hold foremost. Yeah, and uh, we all believe in democracy that the power of the majority should go with that. So if we have a vote between eight, uh, well, we'll just stick with human beings. Eight billion minus one human being, number of human beings, versus one human being, and we're voting on whose happiness is most important, who's going to win? Is it the one or the eight minus, eight million, eight billion minus one? The eight billion minus one, their happiness is going to be more important than the one. Yeah, so... We consider we're the one, so we're, you know, exchanging self and others and considering the happiness of others as more important than our just running around like chickens without our heads, grasping for social status, grasping for possessions, grasping for sex and pleasure, grasping, grasping, clinging, craving, I want, I don't want. Yeah? So cherishing others, doing something beneficial for them is definitely more important than that. And it brings us more satisfaction in our life and more peace of mind. Yeah? When we we look... uh, because especially now people are talking about young adults having so much stress. Yeah. And it's true. It's not just limited to, to the young adults. It's everybody starts in kindergarten. It starts in preschool. Okay. And it goes until, you know, you're buried or burned or whatever happened, what they do to your body. Okay. Of us always you know, thinking foremost of ourselves and competing and comparing. And that makes our lives really quite miserable. Yeah. We think it makes us happy. Oh, look, I got status. Yeah. I'm better than that, those kids in high school who were the real popular ones. And I, while well, I was left out, now I have a corner office. Now I'm successful. You know, um, yeah, is that going to make us happy? <laughs> but we chase it. We chase after it. 
but it doesn't make us happy. Yeah? So, uh, you know, if we're, we're able to, to really contribute to, to society and help people calm their minds and develop a kind heart for each other, then I think that really brings much more satisfaction in our lives. Okay. And uh, so now he's kind of wrapping things up in the chapter. And uh, what he's going into right now, we'll see, is uh, again coming back to the body and how much we become slaves of our body. And bringing up something quite interesting that, you know, we, we are so concerned with our, the, our body, physical sensations, you know. We don't like being hungry. We don't like being too hot or too cold or thirsty. We don't like smelling unpleasant things. We want to smell good things. We want nice touches, you know. Uh, you know, all, always seeking physical pleasure and sensual pleasure, you know, from all of our senses, music and, and whatever. And, uh, and he brings up the point that our body, that, you know, we're pampering the body, we're looking out for the body like it's, you know, yeah. So incredibly important. Its pleasure is so incredibly important. But actually, the body doesn't care. The body is just material, you know, matter. It's just atoms and molecules. It itself, divorced of a consciousness that's associated with it, that body doesn't experience pleasure or pain. So it's an interesting thing, you know. Next time you have a stomach ache or stub your toe or your neck hurts or whatever, yeah, like oh, who or what is hurting? Are is the body itself experiencing the pain, or is it the consciousness associated with that body? Yeah especially the aggregate of feeling, yeah, is that what's experiencing the sensation of pain? It's the mind, isn't it? The body itself is not experiencing it. So it's an interesting thing to think about when, you know, like when you're really hungry, I want something, I want something, I have... You know, and you're so focused on the pain here, and it feels like the body itself, divorced of the mind, is what's hungry. But it's actually because there is a tactile consciousness that we experience hunger. Yeah, without that consciousness, the body, the stomach being empty, doesn't have that unpleasant feeling. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. So, 
we'll start with 178 where we left off last time. In the end, my body will turn to dust. Unable to move by itself, it will be propelled by other forces, like the people who dispose of it after we die. They're the other forces. So why do I, uh, I grasp this unbearable and unclean form as I? Okay, so he went into this whole thing about the body beforehand, about how the body is basically a sack of unclean substances. Yeah, we think the body is beautiful. Yeah. Our body is fantastic. The people that we are attracted to, their bodies are beautiful. We judge people. We make friends on the basis of how attractive their bodies are to us. Forget their mind. Forget their values and principles. We just go by attraction. Look at that you know? And we're slaves to that. And Shantideva, earlier in this chapter, said, well, what is it that, that you want so much? Yeah. If you, uns- if you could, well, you mentally unzip this body and open it up. Okay. So we have Boney. You've all met Boney. Okay. But Boney is all cleaned up. Okay, because he, he, he's made of plastic, yeah. But did anybody see the um, the deer leg that was on uh, Country Road a few days ago? Yeah. So there was, uh, I don't know who, what animal, I think, had killed a, a deer. I, it looked like a baby deer, didn't it? It was a small, small leg, and just the the uh, the hoof, the leg, and the spine. It was lying there in the middle of country road, country lane, yeah. And somebody moved it out of the way after a day or two. Ah, uh, but that's what our body looks like. I mean, maybe we don't have hoofs, but you know, feet. But you know, it the bone still had bits of flesh and cartilage on it, kind of red in certain areas, you know, dried blood. You know, that's that's what this thing is. Yeah. Uh, so he's saying, you know, why do I grasp this unbearable and unclean form as I? So, yeah, unclean. Unbearable, yeah. Is your body ever a hundred percent comfortable? Yeah, check right now. Yeah, is your body completely comfortable? Is there some kind of uncomfortable sensation somewhere? Yeah. So you try another meditation cushion. And then you, then you try this and you try that. I gotta find the first, the perfect cushion. Then I'll be able to concentrate my meditation. Yeah. 
There's no such thing as the perfect cushion. And then you have to have some place that's 100% quiet, totally quiet. Even the birds chirping bug you, let alone those things. (laughs) No, I want silence, you know? Make those machines shut up. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they're going to build the big, the Buddha hall in silence. Mm, good luck. Yeah. Okay. So you have to learn to deal with these things. I and mean, wherever you go, there's going to be sound. There's, you're not going to have the correct cushion. Yeah. You're going to be too hungry, too thirsty, too full. Yeah. One seventy nine. Whether it lives, here it means the body. Whether it lives or whether it dies, what use is this machine to me? How is it different from a clod of earth? Oh, why do I not dispel this pride of it being I and mine? So when he says whether it lives or whether it dies, he's not saying just go kill yourself. It's completely okay. You know, get rid. That's if you want to, uh, you know, not have attachment to your body, then go kill your body. No, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is all of our mental obsession about, you know, our health, our looks, our strength, um, our senses working properly. Yeah. When we really think about it, you know, this body is not so different from a clod clod of earth because it's going to decay and become that. So the point of him saying that is the last line, oh, why do I not dispel this pride of it being I and mine? Because the grasping at the body as I or as mine, my foremost possession, my most important possession is my body. Yeah. Then that uh, craving and clinging and grasping is going to cause us to do a lot of negative actions. And at the time of death, we have to separate from this body. There's no choice. Yeah, there's absolutely no choice. When it's time to die, the consciousness separates from the body. That's it. You know, and you can complain all you want. You can file petitions. You can try and bribe somebody, but nobody can prevent our death when the time of death has arrived. So clinging to the body is only going to be a source of tremendous pain at that time. Yeah. So what he's trying to get us to do is to loosen this clinging and craving. Yeah. And then when we can, then actually our mind is, is, much more peaceful. We're not so worried all the time. Yeah. Oh. 
What is it? Something's biting me. Did you have this during tick season? Every time you felt something in your skin, was that a tick? Was that a tick? You know? And you're just crazy, you know, kind of running around, scratching, thinking everything's a tick and it's going to bite you. Anybody else besides me do that? (laughs) Okay. Uh, where, and how many times does it turn out to be a tick? Usually zero, maybe 0.01% of the time. Not so often. But we're so worried, you know. So imagine you're trying to die and separate from this body and, and everything you know. And, and you're just, you know, focused like Nancy Reagan. You know, how am I not going to look? You know, because she made sure she looked really good at her uh, her funeral. You know, was it was Nancy Reagan, wasn't it? There was somebody else too, some movie star, somebody. You know, yeah. Who? Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers. Okay. Yeah. You know, you have to have your hair done and your makeup on correctly and nice clothes, and you're dead. You know, your consciousness is somewhere else. It's not at your funeral, looking down at your body and saying, oh, how nice I look. And can you imagine that? Just think about that. That's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? If you've died, imagine, if you could, you can't, but if you could, you know, you're floating up there, uh, looking down, oh, I look so beautiful, you know? I think I told you before, my friend's mother, when she had um, Hodgkin's, you know, Hodgkin's leukemia, and she just wasted away for years. It was horrible. And at the funeral, uh, you know, people filed past, and so many people said, I haven't seen her look that good in a long time. Yeah? The embalmist did a fantastic job. She looked great. Yeah? Is our body that valuable? That's what we want? Yeah? They make you look younger. You look 20 years younger lying in your casket than you did when you were walking around. You know, they dye your hair dark. They take care of your wrinkles. If you ever go in a mortuary to to see, you know, uh, somebody who's died, they have uh, a... um, a reddish kind of uh, light that shines down on the body, so it looks kind of pink, yeah, at least for white people, and and it it looks like that, uh, so that you it looks like the person's still alive, you know, just that like they're sleeping, yeah. But I tell you, my mother, if she had seen how they combed her hair, she would have had a fit. She cared a lot about her hair, but lying in that casket, they, you know, it was just brushed back. She never wore her hair like that. Good thing she couldn't tell. But, you know, this is what the verse is, is saying. Why are we grasping this body as I and mine and fussing so much? Keep it healthy. Take care of it. Keep it clean. 
Yeah, and then use it for the Dharma. 180, having accumulated suffering for no purpose because of my honoring and serving this body, what use is attachment and anger for this thing that is similar to a piece of wood? Having accumulated suffering for no purpose because of my honoring and serving this body. Okay, think of all the things that we do that are quite uncomfortable to make ourselves look good. Yeah? Just think about it. What what you go through, and this is men and women alike. Okay. I think of people sitting in, I don't know what kind of places, but uh, do Botox. But could you imagine just spending your afternoon with needles, you know, in your skin to inject some kind of chemical so that you look younger? Yeah. Is that going to feel good? Does going to the gym and getting yourself totally wiped out, yeah, feel good? Or jogging, jogging is good, but jogging on concrete, on asphalt, totally ruins your joints, yeah? So you jog so that you look fit, and then wait a few years, and you need knee replacements, you need hip replacements, you have arthritis from overuse. Yeah. So having accumulated suffering for no purpose, you know, for the sake of looking good. Yeah. I remember when I was little, my mom, you know, things... Well, they're they're different than be, than years ago now, but they're also similar. She would go to the beauty shop every week, okay, and you know wash your hair. Then you had to sit under a dryer. They didn't have blow dryers in those days. Remember, this was the dinosaur age. But instead, they had these big, like huge helmets. Yeah, you remember those? And you sat under one of these big, huge helmets with curlers in your hair, yeah, and then it, it blew a blow dry it, yeah? And then you came out and somebody ratted your hair. You know, you're supposed to comb your hair this way, and they did it the other way to make it stick up high because that was the fad to have a bouffant hairdo, yeah? And then you came home, you know, and your husband and your kids says, Ma, you know, you look so nice. But your your hairdo has to last a whole week. Yeah. So you have to preserve it. So in the evening before you go to bed, you take toilet paper and you wrap the toilet paper all around your hair and you put a hairnet over that to hold the toilet paper in place and then you make sure when you lie down, you know, that you don't toss and turn because that'll mess your hair up. You left out the lacquer. What? You left out the lacquer. 
Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, hairspray. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I heard, you know, the uh, Trump's aide, who, Walt, uh, not a, uh, not, not, uh, who's uh, his social, his um, co conspirator on the, the charges. Uh, you know, he carries uh, the, they call it the orange hairspray with him <laughs> for whenever Trump needs it, you know. Because Trump, I mean, he probably had more hairspray than my mother. Just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my mother, when I got to a certain age, wanted me to do that. I said, no. <laughs> yeah, I had to do it for a few special occasions, but it's not my version of happiness, Yeah. Now, I mean, you, you still do it, and the guys do it too, and the guys are using hairspray and dyeing their hair, and, you know, they have to dye, dye your um, sideburns now because they get gray before the rest of your hair, and, you know, look around for to buy some hair, you know, because <laughs> you need more hair. Uh, yeah, I mean, look what we do. That's just for looking good. That's not even... Uh, in the, in the sense of keeping the body healthy, yeah. Okay. So, having accumulated suffering for no purpose, well, except a little bit of beauty and a little bit of vanity, um, because of my honoring and serving this body, what use is attachment and anger for this thing, which is similar to a piece of wood, Yeah. Does a piece of wood care how it looks? Yeah. Does a piece of wood say, oh, I'm better than all the other pieces of wood? <laughs> Look at the grain in my piece of wood. It's so beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When you work in the forest, look at a piece of wood and, and say, what's the difference between that and my body in terms of they're just being physical things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, 181. Whether I am caring for my body in this way or whether it is being eaten by vultures. Yeah. So whether I am pampering my body, you know, you have to go to the um, what is it? The, uh, the sauna and the spa, that's it. Yeah, you want to go to the spa. Yeah, so whether I'm caring for my body in this way or whether it is being eaten by vultures, it, the body, has no attachment or hatred towards these things. Yeah. Why then am I so attached to it? Yeah. The body has no attachment to going itself, has no attachment to going the, to the spa, getting a massage, yeah, working out. They have no attachment to that. And they have no hatred towards that either. Yeah. The body itself doesn't look 
at the body and say, oh my goodness, you know, I got rid of 99.9% of my pimples, but there's one right on the tip of my nose. What do I do? I gotta get rid of that one. It ruins my whole appearance. Yeah, you remember being a teenager and so, so uh, obsessed with your complexion? Yeah. Okay, so the body itself has no attachment or hatred towards these things. Yeah. The body's hungry. The body doesn't get upset and in a bad mood. The mind gets upset and in a bad mood. Yeah. So why am I so attached to the body? Yeah. Why am I so attached? I mean, he dealt with this theme a lot earlier in the in this chapter you know why are we so attached to this thing that is a bag of flesh and blood and other stuff yeah by itself it is not gorgeous yeah we think because it's covered with you know skin that that makes it beautiful yeah the skin is just the the external packaging. <laughs> and then the skin, you know, your skin doesn't always stay nice. Uh, you get what my dermatologist calls barnacles. Yeah? You get a lot of barnacles. And then you have moles. And then you have, they have so many different things that grow on your skin. It's amazing. So many technical terms that you can't pronounce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then your skin sags, and it looks like your grandparents' skin. Huh? I mean, that's the reality of it, isn't it? So why are we so attached to it? 182. If my body knows no anger when derided and no pleasure when praised, for what reason am I wearing myself out like this? That's a good question, huh? Yeah. The body that knows no anger when derided. Yeah. Should think of how offended we get when people comment on our body in a way that we don't like and how we float to the moon when they say something about our body that we like. Yeah? It's amazing. Just a few sound waves can make our day or put us into depression. few sound waves. You look so beautiful. Yeah? You smell so nice. Your eyelashes are wonderful. Yeah. Now, now, uh, you know, your eyelashes stick out to here. Have you ever noticed that? You know, you gotta be careful when you move because your eyelashes are gonna hit the wall. <laughs> yeah? Huh? 
to Billboard when we were running errands in Spokane yesterday. You could get eyelashes a full set for 70 bucks. $70. cheap. Yeah. For little, little pieces of hair. Oh, that's really, that's a good deal. We should go out and get some, huh? Yeah. Then we can compete. Who has the longest eyelashes? Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to take care of your eyebrows, you know? So you, you either have to pluck them or you pencil them in. What? Tattoo. Oh, yeah, you get a tattoo. You get a tattoo eyelashes and you get a tattoo uh, eyeliner. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that saves you time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to put it on every day. What? No smudging. Wow, that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, that, yeah, we can get tattooed eyelashes sitting there all afternoon with needles in your eyelids. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, we can have a Dharma debate while we're all sitting there. <laughs> okay. So the body knows no anger when derided and no pleasure when praised. But when people praise our looks, oh, we, we like it. When people criticize our looks, oh, you look like you're anorexic. You know, put on some weight, you're too thin. Or when, you know, you're a kid, remember, they call fatso. Yeah, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, kids are so horrible the way they talk to each other. And who do they learn it from? Yeah, they aren't born insulting each other. They learn it. <laughs> you know, babies just say goo-goo and gaga. They don't say, you know, you're you're a jerk. Look at you. You know. <laughs> you know? So why are we wearing ourselves out? trying to make this body happy and trying to make us ourselves look good. Yeah? Yeah, you spoke about your identity crisis when you cut your hair. Yeah? Yeah, you remember last year when she came? She had really long hair. Oh, I was so jealous because my whole time when I was young, I wanted to have long hair, and I got it down to here, but her hair was longer. Oh, and then I had to cut it all off. Yeah. And I put my precious hair on the altar as an offering to the Buddha because I was getting rid of my attachment. My roommate came in and said, Ew! <laughs> Who put this hair on the altar? Get it out of here. That's my beautiful offering that I spent years and years growing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing when you think about it, what we do for this body and and how sensitive we are. Yeah. Oh, you're eating another piece of chocolate? Are you sure you should eat that piece of chocolate? 
Oh, I'm just trying to help you. I know you're dieting. <laughs> As a little kid, I thought that, <laughs> you know, see, you're a little kid, you, you learn from what's around you. I thought that most of the time what adults talked about was their weight. You know, and what they ate. Yeah, because, you know, my dad would sit down with a, a half gallon of ice cream. It was literally a half gallon, not, not those little things that we get, <laughs> but a whole half gallon and finish it off in one evening of watching TV. Yeah. And mom also was what do you say? Chubby. Fat. You know, and, and so that's what they talked about the, with their friends. Everybody was so concerned with, you know, what your body looked like and what you were eating to, you know, to make it look the way you wanted it to look or not eating or whatever. And I thought this was, you know, what, what, most adults talk about what they worried about, what they thought about. Sad, huh? I mean, they did talk about other things. They talked about their kids. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my daughter. Oh, my son. Oh, look at what they're doing. Yeah, they're such good students. Yeah, they got an AE. AE is like an A plus, you know. They got an AE on their spelling test. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, 183. Yet, I want this body of mine. Yeah, so this, this is the self-centered thought talking again. Yeah, yes, I want this body of mine. Both it and I are friends. I love my body. My body's my friend. That's why I criticize it so much for not looking the way I want it to look and not being as healthy as I want it to be. Yeah, do you criticize your body? Anybody here satisfied with the way your body looks? Yeah. Don't you wouldn't you rather have it look look a little different? Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are just sitting there. We know that is fake. <laughs> we don't believe you for a minute. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we all want our body to look different than it does, don't we? Yeah? And so, you know, we're just... So, you know, it's more and better, more and better, isn't it? I want to be taller. I want to be shorter. I want to be thinner. I want to be fatter. I want to, uh, you know, 
If you have brown hair, you want blonde hair. If you have blonde hair, you want brown black hair. If, if you have curly hair, you want it straight. If you have straight hair, you want you curl it. Everything, you know, constant dissatisfaction. Okay? So here's self-centered mind saying, yet I want this body of mine. Both it and I are friends. Okay. And Sandhideva says, well, since all beings want their bodies, why do you not find joy in theirs? Yeah? If they're, if everybody is so attached to their body because they think it's wonderful, why don't you think their bodies are all wonderful too? Yeah? So, you know, look around and, and you know, Everybody's attached to their body and, you know, think their body's their friend. Would you want to change bodies with other people? Yeah? You really, you you want to change bodies? Yeah, who do you want to change bodies with? (laughs) What? what? No comment? Oh, I think we hit a sensitive point there. <laughs> yeah. But we think, okay, I get that person's body, then what? Yeah, that that person is probably craving to look like you. Yeah. They have brown eyes, so they want blue eyes. You have blue eyes, you want brown eyes. Yeah. We're all dissatisfied. Okay. So why don't we find pleasure, you know, in other people's bodies? Especially when they complain. Yeah. When yeah. Isn't it wonderful to be around people who complain about their body? It's so nice. It's so comforting. Oh, this hurts. Oh, my stomach. Uh, ooh, ha, I'm in so much pain. I'm exhausted. Yeah, don't you want more bodies like that that you can be friends with? Yeah, <laughs> then you can sit around. I mean, I've been with uh, one Dharma uh, center I was at for for a summer course. There was a certain group of people that got together and ate lunch together. And what they did the whole lunch was talk about their physical ailments. And these people were not old people, you know. They were mostly in their 30s and 40s. And complain, fetch. Yeah, I stopped eating lunch with them. Because they wouldn't let me talk about my pain. No joking, but it's it's really it's boring when you have to sit and listen. You know, everybody like oh, this and that. No. What is this misery like? Company, yeah, yeah. So we're miserable. We want other people to be miserable together with us. Yeah. 
As someone in my late 30s who's now spending a lot of time complaining about my aches and pains and ailments, I think it's because I'm just so confused, right? Like, eventually, you, one must get used to this, right? Yeah. You bet. <laughs> you, you get more and better pains and ailments than before. <laughs> yeah. You know, more things hurt. Then you need this. You know, I remember when I used to travel, everything was so easy. Didn't wear glasses, didn't need hearing aids, you know, so you didn't have to take glasses, didn't have to take the stuff for hearing aids, you know, didn't need to take a comb and a brush. I was, you know, uh, didn't need um, medicine, you know, either oral medicine for arthritis or something to rub on, you know, whatever it was that hurt. You know, now when I travel, my suitcase is so full of stuff to take care of this body. It's pathetic. Yeah, you had to carry the suitcase, huh? Yeah. Uh -oh. <laughs> well, yeah, the body just needs more and more. Then you have to have vitamins and supplements and supplements for the supplements <laughs> and vitamins for the vitamins. <laughs> And then you have to have your whole list of everything you take. And then you, you get one of those uh, things, you know, several of us had the little purple things Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know, with all your pills in it. You know, this one's for high blood pressure and that one's for my liver and this one's for my kidneys and this one's to remedy the side effects of the medicine for my kidneys and this one's to remedy the side effects of the pill I take for the side effects for my kidneys. <laughs> Yeah. So why don't I just want more bodies like that? Okay. Let's. Hmm. Okay. Maybe we'll push ahead and we'll finish the chapter. Yeah, you're going finally. <laughs> Get Shanti Deva off my back. He's like, he's too hard on my self-centeredness. You know, I want a break. Yeah, and then he's going to, next chapter, tell you how you don't exist. So. <laughs> okay, 184. Therefore, in order to benefit all beings, I shall give up this body without any attachment. Although it may have many faults, I should look after it while experiencing the results of my previous actions. Okay? So, in order to benefit all beings, I will give up my attachment to this body, yeah, and use the body to, you know, as the foundation for being able to gain the three wisdoms, the wisdom of hearing or learning, the wisdom of thinking or reflection, the wisdom of meditation. Okay, and although it, the body, may have many faults, I should look after it, you know, and accept the fact that I'm also going to be experiencing the results of my previous actions. 
And so, you know, the body is going to hurt and it's going to get sick and it's going to get old and die. And I'm going to accept that because, you know, through my the power of my afflictions and my karma, I took re- this rebirth. And as soon as you're born, you're in the process of dying. You know, you're in the process of getting old. So uh, I'm not going to have all sorts of unrealistic expectations. Okay, 185. Okay, now you're getting fed up. So enough of this childish behavior. You know, I've been running around seeking my own benefit, just complaining all the time about me, 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 what I want, I want, I don't want. So enough of this childish behavior. I shall follow in the, in the steps of the wise. Okay, so look at who your role models are. Who do you want to be like? Who do you consider to be wise? And you want to uh, be like them, generate those same qualities, live as they live, practice as they practice. Yeah? So, you know, think about who who the wise ones are, who your role models are, and and choose them well. Okay, so I shall follow in the footsteps of the wise. And having recalled the advice concerning conscientiousness, I shall turn away from sleep and mental dullness. Okay, so there was a previous chapter on conscientiousness. Conscientiousness is a mental factor that uh, cherishes our uh, values and principles, our ethical conduct, it cherishes uh, living in a way that's going to produce uh, goodness for ourselves and others. Okay, so also I will recall, recall the advice in that chapter and turn away from sleep and mental dullness. This doesn't mean you stay up all night yet. I mean, some of you have done that to do your term papers. We know that, that that's not what he's advising here. Okay is um, his meaning excessive sleep. Because it takes a long time to sleep. You know? Doesn't it? When you think about it, I mean, everything else we try and do quicker. So, we, you know, things, yeah? Can I can I just get this done quickly? I mean, you, the kitchen after lunch, you used to see it. You guys are like, you're not sleeping. You're like, I'm getting rid of these dishes. <laughs> God, I'm done. Okay. Uh, but sleeping takes so long. And you're not even enjoying it because you're not awake. Yeah. And, yeah, so it's funny how, how we think. We, we cherish sleeping for a long time. And it, it really consumes our, our human life you know, the time we have. So, you know, if we can cut down on the amount of sleep we need, it's not talking about staying up all night, you know, but not indulging the body. That's what he's talking about, not indulging. Uh, So abandoning sleep and mental dullness, because if we want to develop 
concentration, we have to overcome our mental dullness. You know, the mind that is sits down to meditate, the gross form mental dullness. I take refuge. Until I'm awake. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to be hard to, to develop concentration that way. Okay. I have a, a, a tip for everybody who, who wants to sit in the front row, because you think people who sit in the front row, they have a higher status. When you sit in the front row, everybody can see you fall asleep. Yeah? I speak from experience. Yeah? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Okay. So I shall turn away from sleep and mental dullness. 186. Just like the compassionate children of the conquerors, the bodhisattvas, I shall patiently accept what I have to do. For if I do not make a constant effort day and night, when will my misery ever come to an end? So we all know that there, to have, to accomplish things that are good, we have to exert effort. And, uh, when we exert, when we're doing things, we run into bumps and problems and pitholes and all sorts of things. Yeah. So instead of, uh, you know, it's so interesting. Whenever we're doing something and a problem arises, we always go, why is this? Why am I getting a problem right now? We had it all planned out and it was going like this. Problems are not supposed to happen. This is what I say when we have problems with Buddha Hall. Because we signed a contract, everything was supposedly laid out to the detail of every little thing, except everything that was forgotten, <laughs> that was that needed to be in the contract that wasn't put there. And, you know, I came away with no problem. This is going to be smooth sailing. Yeah. Boy, you would have think thought that I didn't know any Dharma practice at all, having that kind of expectation. Well, I, I did know two things from our previous experience. Whenever you build a building, it costs more than they tell you, and it takes longer than they tell you. Yeah, so I knew that up here, but every time we had a problem in here, complain, 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 yeah. The Buddha, the hall, Buddha Hall Committee convention. Yeah, I complained, don't I? It was kind of a what? Oh, okay. <laughs> Are we in harmony with our complaining? I thought I, I complain much more than you do. I go into your office and complain, and but you don't come to my office and complain. 
It will start. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why are they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? I looked even yesterday. The outline of what they're supposed to do this week. They haven't finished yet, or they aren't doing. You know, let alone what they're going to do next week and the week after. You know, they don't know how to plan even for the week that they're building. That roof was supposed to be on, I don't know how long ago. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, I really wish we had kept, you know, they, they gave us the outline. That, you have it from the very beginning? I want to take a look at that. <laughs> because this building is supposed to be done by the end of next month according to the initial outline. That means all the infrastructure, replanting the ground, everything inside and out, one month they're going to finish. Yeah, for the original price. No way. Okay. It's amazing, wasn't it? Why did they tell us that? When even they knew it wasn't true. It's called business. <laughs> it's called business. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is called doing business, huh? <sighs> okay. So I shall patiently accept what I have to do. <sighs> For if I do not make a constant effort day and night, to meditate when all of that is going on, <laughs> or to meditate when all of everything's going on here, yeah, or to meditate when those birds are chirping, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I need to finish this chapter. <laughs> If I do not make a constant effort day and night, when will my misery ever come to an end? It's true. Well, are we going to get out of samsara? We're not going to get out of samsara by coasting along. You know, complaining isn't the fuel that pushes us forward. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now the last verse. Will we make it? Therefore, in order to dispel the obscurations, okay, so the afflictive obscurations that prevent attaining liberation, the cognitive obscurations that prevent attaining full awakening. So in order to dispel the obscurations, I shall withdraw my mind from mistaken ways and constantly place it in equipoise upon the perfect object the perfect object being the ultimate nature of all persons and phenomena, which is what he's going to explain in the next chapter. Okay, and we do that, you know, develop that mind of equipoise, which is not easy, yeah, 
But we do it for good purpose, to dispel the obscurations. And then having dispelled the obscurations and generated our good qualities, uh, then our, our whole existence is quite different. Yeah. Much more meaning and purpose and uh, satisfaction, fulfillment. Okay, so next week, uh, Geshe-la will start teaching Chapter 9 on Thursday morning, and I will switch and again teach Friday night, going back to samsara, nirvana, and Buddha nature. Okay, so that starts next week. Okay, I'll give you a hint of what's following the first verse in the next chapter. All of these practices were taught by the Mighty One for the sake of wisdom. Therefore, for those who wish to pacify suffering, uh, you should generate this wisdom. Okay. Good. So we made it through, huh? Our egos are alive and well. <laughs> Even though Shanti Deva did his best to smash them, <laughs> they fought back heroically, you know? <laughs> okay, so let's dedicate. <laughs>